wonder how many bargain hunters do we have in the room? Anybody like a good uh, garage sale, estate sale, auction? A few people. Anybody like uh, shows about bargain hunters? Like, uh, American Pickers, Storage Wars, any of those? You like to watch those? I love those stories. We all love, I think, those stories, don't we? Love to see uh, stories where people are diamond in the rough or uh, a, a buried treasure hidden somewhere. I, I came across a couple stories in the news this week. Uh, both of them kind of exemplify that. And uh, I thought this was really cool, some, some treasure. Uh, earlier this year, a teacher in Charleston, South Carolina, held a garage sale, and he had a painting that was for sale that he put $3 on. And over the two days of the garage sale, nobody bought it, and so he was curious about it, took it to an appraiser, and it turns out that this painting was by a very important artist from India who had recently passed away. And uh, he took it to auction, and this painting they had $3 on in the garage sale, nobody bought it, sold for $105,000 at auction. Pretty cool, huh? But that's nothing compared to this next story. Uh, this one was just kind of settled in the last couple weeks. Uh, one man paid $2 for a couple of old tin-type photos, if you know what those are, the old black and white. Uh, thought they were kind of cool. And uh, as he got to looking, he thought he recognized one of the people in one of the photos as the great outlaw Billy the Kid. And so he started to do some research on where Billy lived. And uh, Well, it turns out after five years of research, he's finally proved that Billy the Kid is in this photo. And in fact, it's only one of two known photos of Billy the Kid, and it's recently been uh, authenticated and insured for $5 million, this photo that he bought for two bucks. Don't you love stories like that? Or you'd love it more if it happened to you, right? Of course. But we love, don't we love the stories of when something that uh, people have overlooked for years turns out to be of great value? Isn't it great when people find uh, something everybody else thinks is expendable turns out to be valuable? But here's the thing about hidden treasures, okay? They're only hidden because people aren't paying attention, right? They don't recognize the value in them. Things don't uh, cease to have value just because somebody's not paying attention. In fact, that's the thing I want you to take away from today. If you take nothing else away, here's what I want you to hear. Things don't lose their value because we're not paying attention. Now, we're continuing in this series today called The Thrill of Hope, and what we're doing in December is we're taking lines, the best-known Christmas songs, O Holy Night, and uh, we're looking at what they mean in light of the Christmas story, the, the story of the birth of Jesus. We, what we hope to do is uncover some like, profound biblical truths uh, in this song. Uh, we, we hope that you'll see that Christmas isn't just about Santa or reindeer or eggnog or Christmas presents or wrapping paper or bright lights or trees or chase movies, but that the real meaning of Christmas is found in words like these. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. What beautiful words. How how can it be that a song written 160 years ago still holds such beauty and meaning and truth for us today. So first, the song reminds us that first Christmas night, that it was holy, right? That it was sacred. It was set apart. It was celebrated as something exalted, something good. That first Christmas night, there was something different about it. And what was different about that night than every other night is it was the night that he appeared. And that he, of course, is Jesus, And on that night, the song says, the soul felt its worth. 
And that's what I want to focus on today. That's the line I want to look at today. Think about that for a moment. What does it mean for a soul to feel its worth? Well, to really understand that, I think it might help us to think about times when our doesn't feel worth, where uh, maybe we feel worthless or we feel like we have less value. And so our soul not feeling worth might be tied to, you know, a broken relationship. It might be tied to a failure in our life. Uh, Maybe it's tied to loneliness, uh, being ignored or cast aside by someone. Uh, Not our soul not feeling worth might be tied to being passed over for an opportunity or promotion or a class that we really wanted to get into. It, it might be tied to being unemployed, and especially unemployed for a long time. Uh, maybe your soul doesn't feel its worth because you're single still, and you know in a couple weeks you're going to go home for Christmas, and mom or dad is going to ask you, why, why haven't you found anybody yet? And you have to explain that you're keeping your standards high, that you're holding out for the right person, and that you're good, that you're still true and complete in Christ, even when you're single. Maybe uh, it's because you're in middle school. And to be honest, it's just hard to find worth in your soul in middle school. Maybe it's a pattern in your life that has made you feel like your soul has no worth. You know, when I went away to college, I was quite a for you to believe uh, today, but I was. I didn't have very many friends Uh, Even fewer of them were at my school, but I quickly realized that when I had a drink or two, that it was easy to make friends. And and if if two drinks made me friendly, four drinks made me hilarious. (laughs) And so I ended up spending a lot of my Fridays and Saturday nights at these parties where I could uh, have access to alcohol and have access to these friends I was making. And then I realized that, man, it felt so good on the weekends and I wanted to chase that feeling, and so I would start to seek parties that were on Monday and Tuesday night instead of Thursday and Friday night. That didn't work out very well for me in college. But when I was at those parties, I feel, felt like I still had value. Now, I can look back now, and I can be so thankful to God for protecting me from real trouble. That there were so many situations where I could have done something to harm myself or harm other people looking for value in things other than my relationship with God. But I didn't know it then. I wasn't paying attention to God, but I still had value in his eyes. See, things don't lose their value just because we stop paying attention to them, right? So so it is with people too. So just because people don't treat you like a masterpiece doesn't mean you're not God's masterpiece created in his image. Just because you don't have that special someone doesn't mean that you're not special to someone. Like those garage sale items that I talked about, they had been neglected for years, for decades, Nobody was paying attention to them, but you know what happened is even while people weren't paying attention to them, their value was just increasing. They were just going up. You know, people, we don't lose, things don't lose their value just because we're not paying attention. And so it is with us. Our value is not reduced just because of the circumstances around us. I want to take a look today at someone in scripture who may not have felt very valuable. And so we're going to dive in at Luke chapter one. We're going to look at the story before the Christmas story. Uh, Luke 1, we're going to start with verse 26. It says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now you should know that Elizabeth was a relative of Mary, probably a cousin. Elizabeth at the time was also pregnant. She was pregnant with John the Baptist. Well, he wasn't John the Baptist yet. He was John the fetus, okay? But he was John that would become John the Baptist. So Elizabeth's pregnant in the sixth month of her... I don't know why I said that, sorry. In the sixth month of her pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. 
The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, I want to catch something here. I I noticed this in the first service. I had never noticed it before then. Mary has an angel appear to her and start speaking audibly to her. And she's not troubled by that. But she's troubled by the words, he says. Now, look at what he says. He says, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary is troubled by that. Now, let me ask you, how many of us are troubled by positive words that the Lord is trying to speak into our life that we don't believe him? You know, Mary is there and she doesn't, she's not troubled by the fact that this angel appeared to her out of nowhere. That, that should be troubling. But she's troubled that he says, you have found favor with God. So many times God will try to tell us, try to speak into our lives and say, you have found favor with me. And what we say, no, I don't know. I don't know that I believe that. I don't know that I think that. You know, Mary was troubled at his words. But the angel said to her, Verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Now, I think it's fascinating that this passage is really one of only two times in Scripture where an angel appears to somebody, and we're told the name of the angel. We're told this is the angel Gabriel. I don't know why I found that fascinating, but there's something about this. You know, Luke, who wrote the book of Luke, Luke gathered all of his information by talking to eyewitnesses. He tells us that in Luke chapter 1. And so he talked to somebody who was there at this moment, probably Mary, to find this information out. And it was so, she, was, had, she was so impacted by this that she remembered the name of the angel to give it to Luke to write down so that we would have it 2,000 years later. So this was clearly a, uh, a landmark experience in Mary's life, right? So Gabriel shows up and he has some crazy, unexpected, probably unwanted news. You're pregnant. You're going to have a baby. He's going to be a boy, and his name's going to be Jesus. And it's easy for us to kind of glance over this, knowing how this story ends and what happens here. But, but let's don't ignore the cultural significance of what's happening here, okay? What this means for Mary. I mean, young ladies. you got a whole row of young ladies right here, except you, Jude. Imagine you're in Mary's shoes, right? And this angel appears to you and gives you this news that you're... you're, you're in high school, you're in college, you just graduated college, you're not married, you're pregnant. And some, some of you in the room probably don't have to imagine because you know the feeling of somebody telling you you're pregnant and it wasn't time and you weren't expecting that. Or maybe if you're a guy, you found out your wife was pregnant and like, we really thought we were going to wait. Or your girlfriend, or maybe your daughter. And you know the troubling news that that is, you know the stigma that comes with that. Well, in this culture, in ancient Palestine, purity uh, for a young woman especially was really integral to her personal worth. It was integral to her, her financial worth, first of all, because a, uh, a virgin could command a higher bride price than somebody who was pregnant, for sure, but also to her family's worth, to her family's value, uh, as much as it would be today. Mary was engaged, and as the scripture Isaac read earlier, Joseph was thinking about ending that. And he had to have an angel appear to him and tell him to walk away. You know, and I think it's a safe guess that probably not everybody, as Mary told this story, probably not, not everybody was buying what she was selling, right? I mean, Joseph had to be convinced by an angel. That same angel probably didn't appear to the entire town and say, hey, I know what you probably think about Mary, but really it's okay. It's from God, right? He didn't do that. And so Mary didn't have that going for her. So what was she experiencing? Well, probably finger pointing, 
snickering, uh, questioning glances. Mary could have found a lot of reasons, right, why she didn't feel very valuable. She was young. uh, She was probably poor. She was pregnant. She wasn't married. Nobody believed her. But the angel tried to reassure her. He said, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So this baby would be the one who was promised. You know, for hundreds of years, God had been promising his people that he was going to send a Messiah, a son, a a, a man from the line of David who was going to be their savior and his kingdom would never end. And now this angel tells Mary, it's your son. He's the one. He's going to save uh, his people. This son was going to change everything. She probably didn't know. She probably didn't understand how that he would literally change how people related to God, that because her son Jesus came, that people could have an intimate relationship with God through him, or that he would literally divide time, like everything that happened before this moment is known as B.C., and everything since then is known as A.D., right? When, when Cameron and the band sang, Mary, did you know? Well, she probably didn't know. She probably didn't know that was going to happen. But clearly she knew it was something big. And in response to this, terrible, wonderful news. Mary sings a song. And it's a song that's captured for us in Scripture. It's a song of praise. It's sometimes called the Magnificat. And it's captured in uh, Luke 1, starting with verse 46. It says this, And Mary said, My soul, catch that word there, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. Remember, Things don't lose their value just because we're not paying attention. God has been mindful of this humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And what we see right here in Mary's song of praise is her soul felt its worth. Now, for most of her life, she was probably feeling small and plain and unremarkable. But in this moment, her soul feels its worth and her heart explodes in worship because things don't stop having value just because we quit paying attention. I want to show you a little illustration of this, but I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. Erin, will you come help me for a minute, please? She wasn't expecting that, I know. I promise I'll make it worth your while. Everybody, uh, welcome Erin here. Thanks, Erin. Can you tell the people what this is? It's a $20 bill. It's a $20 bill. It's a real $20 bill, right? Yeah. Um, it, does it have value? Yeah. Why does it have value? Because it's a $20 bill. Okay, it has value because it's a $20 bill, right? Would you like to have this? Yeah. Okay. She said yes, by the way. I always pick smart volunteers. Um, <laughs> what about now? Does it still have value? Yeah. What about now? Does it still have value? Yeah. Would you still want this? Yeah. Why would you still want this old, beat-up, raggedy $20 bill? Because it's still a $20 bill. Why does it have value to you? What would you do with it? Buy stuff with it? You can buy stuff with it, so the store would still take it? Here, you take it then. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks. Everybody give Aaron a hand. So Aaron said that $20 bill still has value because the store will take it. The store will take it because the bank will take it. It still has value to the bank. The bank will take it 
as long as the U.S. Treasury Department says it still has value. Do you know why that's true? Because the U.S. Treasury Department made that $20 bill. And only the people who made it get to determine if it has value. U.S. Treasury Department, as long as it says that $20 bill has value, it has value. Because the people who made it get to say whether it has value or not. Now, understand, Mary's soul didn't have any more value the day after the angel appeared to her than it did the day before. Her soul wasn't worth any more the day after. Things don't lose their value because we stop paying attention to them. Mary had value even when her circumstances gave her no reason to feel value. Mary's soul had value even when she felt like she'd been crumpled up and stepped on. In the same way, you have value because God says you have value. The person who made you gets to determine what your value is. Right? You have value because God says you have value, uh, even when you don't feel it. You know, if you're in a stage of life right now where you don't feel valuable, maybe it would help you to know what made Mary feel her worth. What is it that made Mary, helped her feel value? Well, I've written two things in your notes if you're following along. Uh, two things that we can see from this story. Number one is this. It's God's presence. You know, God came near to her, first through this incredible sight of this messenger, this angel that appeared to her, but then through uh, an even more incredible, amazing news that she was going to give birth to the Son of God, that, that deity was being formed inside her body. Now, if, if you're a lady in the room and you've been pregnant before, I want you to imagine this, okay, that you're pregnant and somebody comes up to you and they ask, when are you due? after they know for sure that you're pregnant, because you never ask, right, until you know for sure that she's pregnant. And they come up to you and they say, when are you due? And you tell them, and, and they rub your belly, because that's what they always do, right? We always rub your belly. And then we say, do you know what you're having? Is it a boy or a girl? And you look at them and you say, it's a God. I'm pregnant with God. This is what Mary got to do. She's pregnant with the God of the universe. And can you imagine... This God's presence inside of her, how it must have made her feel. You know, I think we, something happens to us when we get around famous people, right? And we get a little weird. We we respond a little differently when we're around famous people. About three or four years ago, um, I had a friend that invited me to a Pacer game, probably more than that now, probably five years ago. And uh, he, had, he said, I, he called me up at work. He said, I've got really great tickets. you want to go to the Pacer game tonight? And I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I haven't been in probably a year. And so I went to the Pacer game, and I didn't really think about what really great tickets meant until we got to the arena. And so we got in, and we went on, on the club level. So we're already, you know, pretty good. And then we start walking down the stairs. Anytime, uh, helpful hint, anytime you're in the arena and you start walking down, you know your seats are good, right? So we're walking down the steps, and we walk past all the club level seats. And then we walk past all those schmucks in the box seats, right? And we get down, and it turns out that our seat is on the front row, on the floor at Banker's Life Fieldhouse. Not just on the front row, but it's like this. Pacer's bench, Pacer's bench, Pacer's bench, aisle, my seat. Are you kidding me right now? This is my seat. And so I get down the aisle, and I'm looking at my ticket, and I'm looking at the seats, I'm looking at the ticket, and I'm looking at the seats, and I look at my seat, and there's a person already in my seat. And he does this. He looks up. And it's Roy Hibbert, the center for the Pacers, is sitting in my seat, tying his shoe. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't believe he's sitting in my seat. And he looks up at me and he goes like this. He goes, 
Hey, man, I'll just be a minute. <laughs> to which I said, darn right you will. You're in my seat, right? That's not what I said. I had known him, that's what I would have said, but because he's famous and very, very tall and uh, a little bit muscular, even though I could probably out-rebound him, um, he, I said, it's okay, you take your time. I'm not going anywhere, <laughs> right? You get really nervous and anxious and, and excited to talk to somebody like that. Well, can you imagine? Mary must have felt like a hundred times that. Right? A hundred times that. God came as near to her as he possibly could. He came not only to visit her in the form of an angel, but he came to live inside her. Now understand, that's what Christmas means for us too. That we celebrate God's presence. We celebrate that God, the creator of all things, has come to live among us. He lives in the midst of our ordinary, mundane days. He lives among our brokenness and our confusion, our loneliness, in our chaos. And he came so the soul could feel its worth. You know, Jesus himself said it this way in John 10.10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so they may have life and have it to the full. Let me ask you, how many of you occasionally hear the voice of the thief in your life? Yeah. Jesus came to drown out that voice, to put an end to it. Jesus says, the world is broken, and I've come to put it back together. One version of the Bible called The Voice translates Jesus' words this way, I came to give life with joy and abundance. And, and his coming wasn't just what happened 2,000 years ago that we celebrate on Christmas Day. It's what still happens today. <clears throat> when, when you find your way back to God, his presence is with you. When you submit your life to Jesus, God comes to live inside of you too. He's with you every moment of every day. God comes near. And like Mary, his presence can help your soul feel its worth. But there was a second thing, I think, that helped Mary's uh, soul feel her worth. And it was this, God's mission. God gave Mary a mission. He entrusted her with bringing Jesus into this world. It says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. God trusted her to birth Jesus, to, to name him, to nurture him and feed him and, and change him and clean him and teach him to walk and talk and eat and wash himself. The son of God we're talking about. Mary had that responsibility. This mission was clearly so much bigger than Mary herself. In fact, it's a bit overwhelming. So Mary asked this understandable question, one that you or I would probably ask. Like, how? How am I supposed to do this? You've given me this huge mission, God. How am I supposed to do this? And what she's going to find out is there's something else going on here. That she's given this gift and it's this, this gift of being lifted out of her little world, her, her bubble. And she's lifted above her circumstances and able to see, she's shown that she's supposed to play a bigger part in God's redemption story. In verse 35, uh, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mary's soul felt its worth when she realized that, that her life was not just about Mary anymore. It was about what God wanted to do through her. 
That that he wasn't going to just send her away empty-handed and say, hey, here's your mission. Good luck. I hope it works out. But he was going to send his power with her through the power of the Holy Spirit living inside her to help her accomplish this mission. He promises to supply the power she needs. Mary started to feel value when God connected her with his mission. She began to realize her potential value. See, all of us have intrinsic value. You say we have value like the $20 bill. We have value because the one who made us says we have value. We have intrinsic value. There's value in us just because of who we are. Things don't lose their value just because we stop paying attention. You get it? But what God wants us to see is we all have potential value too. We have potential value because God wants to use us to change the world. That We have potential value because just like he gave Mary a mission, he gives us a mission too. Uh, We have a part to play in Jesus' putting the world back how it's supposed to be. When we realize that and we respond to that, well, we, we come to realize what we're really here for. You know, our mission as a church is helping people find their way back to God. And every time I hear about somebody finding their way back to God here at Genesis Church, we celebrate. We have a great time. We, we, uh, we, we praise God for the work that He's doing in our church. So what's your personal mission? Is that part of your personal mission to help people find their way back to God? Is that part of what God made you for and why He's drawing you to Himself? Because not just so that you can be comfortable and you can be a believer, but because He wants to help you to help other people find their way back to God. Understand, God wants to use you for something much larger than you. He's got a vision for you. He's got a plan for you. And that's true even when you feel no worth. It's true even when your circumstances don't confirm it. His Spirit, He says, will give you the power to accomplish it. But listen to me. You will never, never, everybody stop what you're doing right now. You will never, when will you? You will never feel your worth until you care more about what God thinks about you than what people think about you. Your soul will never feel its worth until you care more about what God thinks about you than what people think about you. This is so important because criticism screams at you. Doubt overwhelms you. Fear paralyzes you. Comparison tells you you're not good enough. You know, just... If you want to feel bad about yourself, just look at your friend's Pinterest pages or Facebook feeds. You know, you don't have to look very far to hear you're not good enough. And that's not what God says. You're far more likely to hear that than we are to hear the still small voice of God. Scripture talks about that Jesus' popularity was increasing. People are getting to believe in him and follow him. And even some of the Jewish leaders we see were starting to put their faith in Jesus, but they were stopped because of what some people thought about them. And John 12, he says, Yet at the same time, even many even among the leaders believed in him, in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Listen to this, verse 43. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. People likely missed out on an eternity with God because of what people might say about them. You will never feel your soul's worth until you start caring more about what God thinks than about what other things, others think. And, and if you wonder what God thinks about you, let me just tell you a few things that God thinks about you. I'm not making these up. These are all from Scripture. God says this about you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew you before you were born. 
that he formed you in your mother's womb. That all of your days were written in God's book before one of them came to be. That you're called a child of God. When times are tough, he gathers you in his arms and he carries you close to his heart. You are altogether beautiful. He has numbered the hairs on your head. He protects you from trouble. He is even now transforming you into his image with ever-increasing glory. You shine like stars in the sky. His grace is sufficient for you. You can approach his throne with confidence that, that he began a good work in you and he promises to complete it until the day that Jesus comes back. That he has loved you with an everlasting love and that when you call to him, he will answer you. He, the God of the universe, promises to answer you. But still, you listen to what your neighbors say. You listen to what your coworkers say. You listen to what the girls in the dorm on the other side of the hall say. You listen to what the kids in your class say. You will never feel worth until you care more about what God says about you than what other people think about you. He sent his son Jesus for you. He sent Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to heal the sick, to save the lost, and to take the punishment for your sin and mine and hang it on the cross once and for all, dead. He is your refuge and strength you are a new creation. He has done great things for you. All of that is said about you in Scripture. And if you ever doubt it, just remember, if you're still in Luke 1, what's just down a little bit further on the page, verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. Even when others don't see it, even when you don't feel it, you have value. Things don't lose their value just because we stop paying attention. Your soul has worth because you matter to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for those truths and the things that you have done for us and felt for us and given to us, the gifts that you've given us through your son, Jesus. I'm just a little overwhelmed when I think about the way you feel about me. Because God, I can be a screw up. I mess things up. I don't always do things right. And yet to have you look at me and say, no, Steve, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I knew you before you were born. I numbered every day in my book before you ever lived one of them. I've numbered the hairs on your head. God, I'm so thankful for that. And I know that there are people in this room, all over this room that are thankful for that. Your love is so amazing. It's so overwhelming that we can't really wrap our little human minds around it. And so thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus as a very visible representation of that, God. And as we go through this Christmas season and we think about accomplishing one more thing and buying one more gift and going to one more place, Lord, would you help us to remember that the reason we should celebrate Christmas is because you sent your son so that we could feel the value we have in you, that we could be part of your mission. And we are so thankful for that. And even when we forget it, Lord, over this season, would you please help us to remember, help us to keep in mind that your love for us is greater than anything we face in this world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.